Happy Halloween Eve, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? I am celebrating publicists. Uh, some of my favorite people in the business are publicists. I couldn't do what I do without the wonderful publicists that are out there. And I put a few feelers out there. Some of them are busy with projects tonight. So uh, most of them cannot pop on tonight. Uh, some of them uh, may be able to pop on. Uh, so who knows what the next hour is going to hold. But this show is about you, the artist. If any of you out there have any questions, comments, suggestions about the world of publicity, about what you think it's all about, uh, put those comments in the comment section so that I will address them throughout the show. Uh, I also have dabbled in the wonderful world of publicity. And I say dabbled uh, because there are many others out there that are true experts at this. It all began for me uh, several years ago. Hold on, my device just went off. Ziggy, stop. Uh, so it all started for me several years ago uh, when Lucy Arnaz was going to be doing a show at the Carlisle. And she called me up and asked me if I would help her uh, generate a buzz about her show. And I had never done anything like that before. Uh, and I told her so. And she said, but you know so many people in the business. And I said that I would do it. Um, and if she was happy with it, then sing my praises from the stage and I would be perfectly happy. That led me to doing PR for many people. And doing PR, uh, there are a lot of uh, perceptions, misperceptions, uh, conceptions, misconceptions that people have about what a publicist does or does not do. And I'd like to address some of those things in today's show today. And, uh, and hopefully we'll see if some of my publicist friends pop on. When a publicist... Um, when you reach out for a publicist, what exactly are you looking for? Now, it amazes me how many people uh, do shows in the world of cabaret uh, or who have books to publish or who have anything else to publish for that matter, who never budget into their budgeting or their advertising that they need a publicist. And the bottom line is that the paradigm of the way that cabaret, especially, because that's the one world that I'm very much a part of, uh, the world of cabaret has been set up in a certain way over the years, and I may ruffle a few feathers uh, by what I'm about to say, but in the world of cabaret, uh, it's all about the three Fs, friends, family, and fellow artist. It's almost rare or impossible to go and see a cabaret show uh, in New York in which you, I will not know at least 50 to 75% of the people that are in the audience. Uh, and the big issue with that is that it's because so many people um, are only marketing to their friends and their family and their fellow artists. And I was talking to someone last week who uh, is sending out a mailer 
sitting out everything. And I said, obviously, this is for your friends. But what if someone who has never heard of you was to pick this up and where they would go with this? And she didn't know how to answer this. Now, I'm going to pull up a question here. What's your definition of the difference and distinction or overlap between a publicist and a public relations person, Richard? Uh, check. I'm joking. Uh, you know, it's very funny in one of my favorite movies, Halloween, um, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, uh, when Miriam uh, comes uh, home, uh, Charlotte says, what is it you do for a living? Public relations sounds pretty dirty to me. It is a dirty job and somebody's got to do it. Um, I think that uh, pretty much, and you know, again, if any of my publicist friends pop on, uh, we'll get a clear distinction of this. But I think that um, when it comes to pu uh, publicity, it's getting the buzz out. Uh, I am more interested as an artist in getting that pre-show buzz out, getting uh, people interested in uh, hearing about the show, uh, getting interviews, uh, getting write-ups about the show uh, before the show happens. Um, I think that we have hung ourselves um, terribly in our community uh, by not uh, spending more energy on pre-show publicity rather than trying to get critics into those seats in cabaret. I've never understood why um, someone who's doing a one-night-only show, for example, feels the need to invite the press to come in and review a show um, that other people can read about but will not be able to see. So. Rather than spending that type of energy, I would love the publications like Theater Mania, uh, Broadway World, uh, the other publications, these are my own opinions, folks, to spend the same amount of energy trying to get press to cover these events before the shows happen. The important thing is to build an audience, to get people to come in and see those shows. And I, you know, I don't want to read about something that I'm not going to be able to see after the fact. And I think that too much energy is spent in those directions. So when I was doing PR for everyone, uh, the one people that I did PR for, I would always reach out and ask what their three desires or wishes were. Imagine that I am a genie popping out of a magic lamp. Uh, if you could have any three wishes granted uh, beyond, um, I mean, without any um, limitations put on that, what would you desire or wish? And, uh, and I'll try to grant those wishes. And certain people would have certain uh, press that they would want, uh, certain people that they would want to come in and see them. I mean, there was a time where the New York Times uh, meant a lot. Uh, it still means a lot. Uh, I think a New York Times review, uh, if you're lucky enough to get a good review, um, it looks good 
around the rest of the country. I don't think it matters as much here in New York City as it does to the tourist trade and people outside of New York if you're trying to book yourself in venues and rooms outside of New York uh, to try to get an audience to come in and see you or better yet to try to get those bookings in the first place. Uh, that's where I feel that a New York Times review uh, has the most uh, value um, and the most bang for your buck. Another comment, uh, again from Alan. Agreed, Richard. Thank you. Generally, venues need to be proactive in helping promote pre-show buzz. There was a time uh, when I was performing as Carol Channing, uh, and I was making a living uh, performing as Carol. Hello, Aaron. It's good that you're here. Uh, we're talking about publicist. Uh, today is National Publicist Day. Uh, but um, when I was making a living uh, performing as Carol, and I was performing around the country, uh, before 9-11, uh, things were really rosy as far as getting bookings around the country. Uh, and it was really good because a lot of the venues that I would perform in, um, they would have a subscription series. And the subscription series would allow me or the venue the luxury of the venue having the funds to fly me in, sometimes first class, put me up in the best hotels, and to offer even a per diem on top of those things. Then when 9-11 happened, people uh, did not plan for entire seasons. People, uh, subscriptions started dropping off. And people don't buy uh, in bulk the way that they used to. So everything became on a per show basis. When I was booked in those days, uh, the venues had the funds and they would do everything in their power to try to recoup their investment. When an artist is booked, and unfortunately in New York City, with very few exceptions. The venues that we have to perform in in New York City are paid to play venues. So we pay uh, to essentially what they call four wall those venues so that we can come in, uh, do our shows and hope that we may make a little bit of money uh, that will uh, you know, uh, recoup our investments. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is that it gets harder and harder and harder to do that be beyond building an audience. And a lot of artists are afraid. I have to be very careful what I say because I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Um, but I see this happening over and over and over again, where artists are constantly cutting uh, their cost, uh, uh, trying to save money here to, uh, to try, they, they will spend money uh, on a certain ad or a publication or something. And they don't do their due diligence in terms of researching uh, to see who is going to respond to that ad and if that uh, ad will bring them in. Now, getting back to hiring a publicist, if a publicist tells you, that they can guarantee you that they are going to get butts in those seats 
run. Run as far as you can in the opposite direction and keep running. And I would always say to any of the clients that I had when I was lucky enough to get those clients that I cannot guarantee you that I will be able to get one person to buy a ticket based on my results. But what I can guarantee you is that I will work my tuchus off to make sure that you will get a buzz and that I will get your name out there. And that's one thing that even with my newsletter and my shows that I offer is I will get a buzz out for these people. And a good publicist, that's what a publicist is going to do. I feel that when you hire a publicist, that you should sit down with a publicist, that you should come up with a game plan and you should put out um, exactly what your goals are, what your expectations are, and go out and hope for the best and uh, without expecting, as I say at the end of my shows, without expecting anything in return. I'll share a couple of stories uh, from my own uh, time in the trenches with you. Um, a few years ago, I was doing the press for someone. And uh, again, she hired me. Um, I came in way below what any other publicist would probably charge to do the work that I was doing. What I'm gonna tell you is all factual and it's not based on sour grapes, it's just the way things happened. So she was doing a show on a Saturday afternoon uh, at a certain venue in New York City. And uh, I got her a lot of pre-show interviews. She did podcasts. Uh, and this was before COVID. Uh, so she did radio interviews. Uh, she did a podcast. I don't even know if they were calling them podcast at that time. But she did the radio interviews. Uh, she got blog interviews. I got a couple of uh, print interviews for her. I would say overall that we probably averaged about six to seven interviews prior to the show. The show happened and the show was packed with friends and family. Uh, I thought that I had done a good job. I was happy with my results. I asked her after everything was said and done um, to please let me know uh, everything that she liked best about what I did what she liked least about what I did, and if there was anything that she could add or uh, change with what I did uh, so that I would be even better with the next person that I worked with. She said everything was perfect. She was perfectly happy and everything was fine. So about six months later, uh, she reached out to me and said that she wanted to let me know that she had hired another publicist and she didn't want me to be upset that she had gone in another direction. And I said, absolutely, I'm not upset. You have to hire what you feel best with. Uh, and what are your reasons for hiring a different publicist? She said she was very happy with me, but her husband wasn't. And I said, but your husband didn't hire me. And if your husband was unhappy, with anything that I did or did not do. That was a conversation that your husband and I should have had uh, at the time that the show ended. And her husband said that he felt that if I was a true publicist, I would have gotten major press to come in and review her show. Now look at the facts. 
She was doing one show only on a Saturday afternoon on the last Saturday in July. And the fact of the matter is, and I've got a publicist, one of the best, waiting in the wings. I'm going to bring her on in a second. Uh, but the truth is that, as I said to her, most of the press, uh, especially in New York City Cabaret, um, are volunteers. And you have to realize that on a Saturday afternoon in July, when you have no other shows on the schedule, they are not going to be at your show. And this is something that I wish that we had discussed prior to the disappointment that her husband had in the fact that she was not there. So, and on that note, I am going to bring on one of the best in the business, Risa. Hello. <laughs> it's been a while since we've seen each other. It has been. I and I and I am going to try and live stream this on Instagram at the same time. Uh, uh, okay. I think that you can actually. Uh, well, we'll figure out. A, a, well, do what you need to do. Okay. And, um, and I'll continue to talk. Uh, and then when you're ready, just put your hand up. Oh, I'm ready. I, I have it going. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. So I was just talking um, before you came on. Uh, and thank you for doing this. Um, I just found out, I think it was yesterday that I reached out to you, that today is National Publicist Day. Did you know that? Uh, you know what? If it wasn't for you, I would not have known that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so I reached out. You know, I've got so many friends in this business who are publicists. And, uh, you know, and a lot of them have events tonight. And we're not able to be here. So at the last minute, you said yes. And that you're here. Um, but I, you know, began this show today. And you'll go back and see it later. But um, by talking about the misconceptions that people have about what a publicist does or does not do. So let's start there and then let's build on that. Okay. So, and, I, and I'll keep looking back, make sure we're here. Okay. Um, so what is a publicist? What, what are the myths? So <clears throat> the myths are we can get you on any show. First of all, did I say thank you for inviting me? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you're here says thank you. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, thank you. I, I've had a day, which we can discuss later, but it was around publicity, but um, but I've okay. had a day. So I was like scrambled home and said, okay, let me go. Okay. So thank you for inviting me. Um yeah, the the people think that if you if you call a publicist, um, that your story is the greatest story and everybody is waiting to hear it. And that's not the case. Sadly, that's not the case. Um, I usually ask people what their wish list is. So, you know, if you could get any publicity, you know, possible, what would it be, right? So, so what's your wish list? I said the same thing before you came on. Yeah. That's yeah. what I always ask, you know, what, if I was a genie popping out of a bottle, what would you desire me to bring to you? Yes. And so thank you for saying that. That's great. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I get a blank stare and I think, well, how are we going to judge success? Mm -hmm. and, and I get a blank stare and I think, well, if you're hiring me, you must have a goal in mind. And so, you know, 
what would that look like? What would success look like? Because if I don't, you know, it's the same old story. If you don't know, you know, where your destination is, like it doesn't matter or, or how are you going to get there? So I usually ask them for, you know, what, what does success look like for this campaign? And then, you know, if they had a wish list. So I once had a gentleman tell me that he wanted to be on the cover of Time Magazine. And I thought, wow, that, that's a good wish list. Like that's up there. Now, he's, he's probably one of the few, I've had several, but he's probably one of the few that actually could have made it on the cover of Time Magazine because he was a brilliant inventor. And so he, he had a real shot at, at, at getting that. Um, but what we try to do is set expectations then, right? So if people are holding an event, if they are um, launching a new product, Again, everybody thinks that their thing is the most important thing in the world, and, and it's just not, So, or usually not. So it's our job to say, well, what's the real story here, and who really cares about it? Because sometimes the audience is not who you think it is, right? And sometimes we have to take what the story is, what the product is, what the, whatever the, you know, the, um, the information is that they're trying to share and package it in a way to get to the media first, because that's a gatekeeper, right? So we've got to find a way to get to the gatekeeper that, that gets their ear and then they can help us tell the story to the, to the target audience. So, you know, the biggest misconception is I've got a book, and, you know, this is the greatest book ever. And, uh, you know, can you can you push it out there for me? What shows can you get me on? And it's it, it, it's just not that easy. You know, we have people that we can call up and say, hey, you know, Joe or Tony or whatever, I've got a great story and they'll listen to us. That's the benefit mm -hmm. of being mm -hmm. in business for 32 years and making those connections. Um, but again, it has to be something that fits with what they do. You know, so so the misconception is real is really that 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 everybody's thing is like the best thing and everybody should be writing about it. And why aren't they writing about it? You know, and we're also living in a very uh, no surprise, folks, uh, in a very strange world right now. And on a dime, a new cycle can change everything for everybody. Yeah. And so an item, I, I, let's say that you get someone a spot on the news or something. In a second, that new that could be bumped off uh, because, uh, or worse yet, something could happen in a neighborhood or something that will prevent an audience from even showing up for an event that you have worked diligently uh, to plan for. And I'm sure that that's happened to you. Oh, yeah. um, so, I I, I have a, a great one. Oh, I have, I have a great one. So uh, we had a client who was creating the world's largest art project that was created by children with disabilities. Mm. That's fantastic. That is that is great PR stuff right there. Um, so we wanted to get it on. Um, I won't say which show. I'm just going to say it was a morning show. Uh, and we had to do, I had to do some serious dancing to get this production crew to get out to where it was being, um, launched. Okay. So it was actually art that, that children with disabilities had done. 
painting into squares and things and geometric shapes. It was then wrapped around a blimp. And the blimp was going to fly over like the first game of whoever the California football team is. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I should know, but I don't know right now. So we managed to get the production crew out there to film and they got the footage and it was going to go on the next day and the Pope died and it wasn't going on the air. And I called the producer and I said, but the Pope would love this story. <laughs> <laughs> That's a publicist folks. <laughs> it's, it's children with disabilities. The Pope would love this story. He would want this story to go on the air and um, they, they agreed and, and still couldn't, could do the story. I'll tell you a funny story. You know, one of my dear friends, Harlan Ball, uh, who is a publicist to the stars, I met him through Carol Channing. He lives, is that on the West Coast? Um, it was Dolores Hope's 100th birthday, Bob Hope's wife. And so he reached out to me and he said, we want to do something with CBS Morning Show. Um, can you help me put something together? And so I reached out to, and I got a hundred friends uh, to show up at CBS, six o'clock in the morning. It was raining like you wouldn't believe in May. So it was damp and it was cold. And we all got there and we were all there and we were going to sing happy birthday to Dolores Pope. All of us are standing there and then they come over and they said, you can wave, but you can't sing happy birthday because they didn't have the rights to us singing that song. <laughs> After I had gotten all these people, we were all there and we were all disappointment, disappointed, but what could we do? Right. So, I mean, that, that is so the nature of the beast. You know, we're, we're really at the mercy of, you know, whatever else is going on. So, um, yeah, you, you can be that close and, and get, you know, get pulled from a spot, get bumped from a spot. Um, it's, it is, you know, we all and I, and I was just speaking to somebody who who manages a very, very big, um, very big account. And um, she said, I, you know, I, I hold my breath. I hold my breath and I hope that the segment goes well. I hope that it actually airs. Um, yeah. And I, I was telling her I'm playing with my lighting here. I was telling her another story. So I worked with um, one of the country's uh, one of the world's billionaires. And I was doing um, work for his philanthropic uh, giving. And uh, I had gotten a, I have, you forget some of these stories. I had gotten one of his, uh, he funded science, scientific research. And I had gotten one of his scientists an interview on CNN. Okay, big, that's like, you know, that's big, right? And I'm all excited. Now, it just so happened that it coincided with us all being in his home at the time for an event. And so we were able to see this on, you know, the TV. Now I'm waiting in, in my hotel room, I'm getting ready to go to this, to his home. And Martha Stewart gets indicted on CNN, right? So they're, they're, they've got this publicized. And I thought to myself, if Martha Stewart bumps my story <laughs> off of CNN, 
<laughs> like I will find her. I will track her down. Oh my God. Luckily, you know, we, we got there and I was literally on, on pins and needles. And um, he said, you know, how's this feel right now? And I said, I'm a little nervous, you know, but fortunately it, it did not get bumped. And um, the scientist went on and she, she, you know, thanked him, you know, on the air. And it was just, I mean, the, the sigh of relief that came out of me, I was just, you know, so happy. So it, it is, you know, you don't pay for the space, you know, when you're a publicist, you don't pay for the space. And so that's, you know, that's another, I guess, myth is that, you know, that everything is guaranteed and 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 it'll just happen the way you know you lay it out and well, people we can get that there are no guarantees and and perhaps it has perhaps it hasn't I don't know in your case but if you had a client who felt that you did not deliver the goods to them and how do you get past that uh, with a client uh, because some clients like. Some people may expect uh, the cover of Time Magazine. And as you uh, put it out there, this person deserved being on the cover of Time Magazine. But there are some people, and you and I know this, it ain't gonna happen. And, uh, but it, you're, you're gonna be honest with them and say that well, that's not gonna happen. But even with everything else that they are expecting, sometimes they feel you know, why did I hire you? You know, why did I get out of this? And you've done everything you possibly could have done to make their experience the best experience it could have been. And I do know this, and I will say this, you're one of the best in the business. Uh, and I know, I see your results, um, that some people are just not Yeah, so that's never happened to me in 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. National Publicist Day. Yes. I am my own best promoter. Um, that's uh, okay. So let's go back to the let's go back to the list, right? So I asked somebody what their what their you know what their wish list is. And but then my job is to manage expectations, right? So my job is to say, all right. That's great that you want to be on Time Magazine, and you know it, there could be a remote possibility of that. But let's look at you know what makes sense um, that is I, I don't want to say low hanging fruit, but what makes sense for um, what what your product or your service or your event you know really is, and your audience, and what makes the most sense to do that. And so I try very hard in the beginning to manage expectations because. I never want to disappoint anybody. It's probably my my flaw, you know, my biggest flaw is that I don't want to disappoint anybody. So as a result, you know, we really bend over backwards, you know, over and over and over again to um, try and make something happen. I, I'll be very honest, it's rare that we haven't produced for somebody in a, in a, and sometimes what happens is, so I actually have a case like this now where we went for two months maybe even been a little bit longer with nothing. And I mean, you know, I have people who help me pitch, but I'm generally, you know, pitching away and I'm pitching and I'm pitching and I've got every angle. And I'm like, this is a great story. Like this was not one where I was struggling to kind of find a story. This was a great story. And I'm pitching and I'm pitching and I'm pitching and nothing. And 
so what I do is I keep in contact with them and I say, you know, we are still in the process, you know, here's a list of, you know, who we, who we, uh, who we have pitched and we are, you know, still working on it. We're changing up our angles, whatever, but I get very, I take it very personally, which is probably not a good thing, but I think in the long run, it's part of what I'm known for is that I take it personally. So I'm like, now, now it's my mission, right now. It's like, it's my reputation on the line. Cause I'm not just like, well, we didn't get anything. Thanks for your money and see you later. That's, I could never do that. So I just kept pitching and now we've got two really good interviews arranged. So, you know, what I didn't do in this case is, you know, I didn't build a second half of our agreement because I was like, I got to get something for you. So it's, it truly is rare um but when it happens i really try to manage it with the person and talk it through with them and is there other things that we can work on with them or do we need to sort of cut it short and say okay you know th this isn't working sometimes we know why we'll say it just isn't the right fit or there's been so much in the news that that it that it doesn't work um you know or it's being overshadowed or that kind of thing but um but truly i i take it so personally and i take my company's reputation you know very you know, to heart. And so for me, I'm always like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta make something happen, you know? So I'm juggling. Now, you mentioned earlier, 32 years you've been doing this, uh, which is amazing because you're only 31. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but your daughter also followed in, uh, into this business. Uh, you know, did that surprise you or uh, did you pretty much expect that this would happen? No, you know, I had, um, I had no expectations for, our kids growing up, you know, I really wanted them to follow something that spoke to them and ignited their passion. Um, and I never had any, you know, thoughts really about what either one of my girls would, would, you know, take on as a, as a career. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about my Sammy. Um, so when Sam went to, um, she went to University of Delaware, uh, she started taking communications classes. And I don't, I think before that we didn't, we didn't discuss it in any way. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that we really talked about in any way that I, that I'm recalling. Um, but she started taking classes, you know, journalism classes and, and things like that. And um, she really enjoyed it. And she had, you know, she grew up in my business. So the fun part about Sam is Sam has been a part of lots of um, client events she was like the spokesperson for IMAX theater when we did it at, at the Palisade Center. She, her face would appear in, you know, ginormous on the screen when she'd be there with her friends and, you know, and her, even her school had gone and they were like, that's Sam, you know? So she kind of grew up with the events and with the, um, you know, the fun that PR can, can be. And so I guess she sort of gravitated towards it. Um, so yeah, I'm really proud of her. She has a, a job that I did not help her to get. Um, at a big uh, PR firm in Manhattan. And um, she's just, she's, she's great. So, you know, she learned from me, but, you know, I learned from her, you know, um, we talk about the different tools that we use and, and different, uh, you know, styles of things. And, and so it's, uh, it's actually been wonderful to share that with her, but it wasn't something that I necessarily expected or, or even channeled her to. Well, you've been very fortunate. You've had a 32-year career doing this, um, and you've seen a lot change in terms of the way things are done. And what are the things that you've 
seen change over the years that you absolutely love uh, that are in place now? And what are the things that you missed that were in place when you first started? Oh, good question. So PR for the longest time <laughs> was, you know, it was two things. You either picked up the phone to call, you know, a publicist um, or rather a, a reporter, right, or a producer, or you were sending out press kits. And I'm sure you remember the days of press kits. Mm -hmm. So we, we would, and again, there's a list. Uh, well, excuse me, but are press kits really not used anymore? Oh, no, not really. No, no. So everyone save your money, all the artists that are watching, save, save your money. Save your money, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, and, and I'll remind me to get back to that, why I think that is, but, um, there's a couple of reasons, but, um, but we, I used to enlist the whole family and we would, you know, set out everything on the dining room table and we'd be stuffing, you know, press kits together and, and putting all that stuff together. So you really had those two ways of getting in touch, um, with, or getting your story out. You know, you had to pick up the phone, you could write a letter, um, or you could send out, you know, these, these massive press kits that cost a fortune. So, and that's just the way it was for a really long time. And then one day email showed up, you know, AOL showed up. And so it was like, oh, wait, I can just send an email to somebody and, you know, I don't have to pick up the phone and call and press kits and, and all of those mailings. Um, because we used to mail press, press releases, right? We'd stuff envelopes. We had to send out 30, 50, whatever it was. So you'd be stuffing envelopes all day. And then that completely went away. And that was a dramatic change. I had an assistant for years who that was part of her job too, was just helping us stuff and make phone calls and that kind of thing. And then after a while, I didn't really need her um, because that was such a big part of her job. So that was a huge, huge shift um, in going to email. And then people would say, don't email me. I only want, you know, mail or don't mail to me. I only want email or don't call. I only want email. So you started to kind of learn, you know, how people wanted to be, um, to be contacted. So that was a huge shift. And I think the next, um, big shift really was, um, was social media and the ability to use social media to contact, you know, um, reporters and do outreach and that kind of thing. Um, I can't say that I miss doing press kits and stuffing envelopes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that went away. I mean, we, we save a lot of trees now. We save money, you know. Um, but, you know, the bad part about email is that a reporter will get, you know, 100 emails a day. And so how does yours stand out, right? Is it just because they know your email? Oh, Risa sends good stuff. You know, I'll open her email. Um, is it your subject line? Because if you don't craft a good subject line, you know, it's a subject line is your headline. So that's mm -hmm. your headline of the story. And we don't always get it right. But, you know, you want to intrigue them enough with that subject line if they don't know who you are um, to catch their attention. And then, so this goes back to the, you know, press kits being these big cumbersome things. It, it, nobody has, we were just talking about this today. We taught a class on, on personal branding. Um, no one has, you know, we don't have the bandwidth and we don't have the attention span anymore to get a press kit and look through it and, and, oh, let me spend a half an hour learning about 
you know, Richard Skipper or Risa <laughs> Hogan. You, know? you know, but is that changing as well? You know, as far as branding is concerned, that people, you know, I saw something the other day and it had all these brands and how those brands uh, have changed over the years in terms of, I mean, like Kentucky Fried Chicken is now KFC and they've gotten, you know, with these abbreviations and everything, is branding changing as well a lot in the, in as far as the work is concerned? Well, I don't think branding, I think branding has always been about being able to quickly be identified with something. And that's a, so we were talking about that today. We were with um, realtors, um, a whole room of realtors and talking about branding. And, you know, some people think that branding is your logo. Like I've got a logo. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm branded. I'm, I'm good to go. And then that's like, we were saying that should like be the last part of how you sort of build a brand. You know, you really need to figure out who you are and what you stand for. And I love mm -hmm. to use the example of BMW because everybody gets it. So, you know, I said, how many of you have a BMW, drive a BMW? And, you know, a bunch of people raised their hands. And I said, okay. I said, you did not buy that car to get to work. You, you bought that car because something about that car, that brand spoke to you and you wanted that because you can have anything to get to work, right? You can have any car to get to work. But BMW is the ultimate driving machine, right? So I get a BMW because it's a status symbol, because it's the ultimate driving machine. And I love to drive and driving gets me excited. And, and so when they're selling it to you, they're not saying buy this great car to get to work. <laughs> they're saying, you know, we're the ultimate driving machine. And so you relate to that, right? So they've got a niche and not everybody wants a BMW. Same thing with, you know, McDonald's or whoever. They have a brand and it, but it won't appeal to everybody. So we were trying to explain that, you know, you're, you're, you have to pick a lane when you're picking a brand. Um, you know, and in realtors cases, we were saying maybe you just work with people who are just newly divorced and want to get a house, you know, and so that's your lane. It doesn't mean nobody else can, um, hire you, but it just means that you can now fine tune how you uh, how you market yourself, and it just makes it easier when you establish a brand. So branding is still, you know, I think branding is more important than ever I, again because people have such a short attention span, and I think that's why you see the brevity almost the KFC right. That's easy KFC, and it's also you know not so attached maybe to fried chicken because people right. started to be healthier maybe. Um, so, uh, you know, even the Nike, you know, the, 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 the swoop, you know, whatever, whatever they're calling it, you know what it is, right. You know what it is and it, it's brevity. It's keeping it simple. Right. But, but making that connection, what does that mean to you? Just do it, you know, or whatever it is. So it's, it's branding so important. It's so important overall to marketing. I'm going to ask you a very loaded question. Okay. Yeah. In the world of law, they say um, a, um, a, 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 and I'm going to uh, screw this up. I know I am. Um, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. Um, in the world of PR, do you feel it's the same thing for someone who wants to basically do their own PR? Or do you think it's very important for someone to have someone? And I'm going to give you an example. I was I started to tell this story before you came on. Uh, I had a friend who, uh, and if she's watching, I'm not going to out you, but she just told me a couple of weeks ago that she had bought an ad for a certain 
online publication. And uh, I said, well, my first question to you is who reads it? Who sees that publication? And she didn't have an answer. And, uh, but she, based on the name of the publication, she thought it had a certain, I said, do you know anyone who actually sees that ad? And she didn't. And I said, I think you just threw away $350. And I see a lot of times that people will go, I can't really afford that. I can't really afford this. And yet I see them spending money in all these other areas that are not getting them any results, but they think it's the thing to do to advertise in this publication, uh, to uh, post on this online site and everything. And it's not getting any traction for them. When a publicist can come in and perhaps change uh, the trajectory of what's happening for them. Yeah, the couple of good points. Um, so, so the first question, the first thing I, you know, after I asked for wish list, but I'm also looking at target audience, right? So, you know, who's the target audience, and then where are those people? Which which has become a lot more complicated, right? So, I love to tell the story about when you back back in our day, right? Um, you'd, you'd go to the end of the driveway and that's where you got your news because the newspaper was waiting for you and you read it with your coffee and you, you know, you enjoyed it, right? And you spread it out on the table and you went through the, you know, the different sections and the lifestyle and sports and whatever. And, and that's kind of how you absorbed your news. And then you went on with your day until six o'clock when the news came on and then you, you got some more news. <laughs> but now we're in this, this horrible 24 seven, um, news cycle, which, you know, as a publicist, I probably shouldn't say it's horrible, but it's, but it's horrible. It's, it's, it you know, it's just, it's constant. And so much of what is available to us, in other words, there's too much available. It so it dilutes everything. So we're, as before, there were a hundred thousand subscribers to a particular newspaper. You knew what, like when I was reading that newspaper in the morning, so were, you know, 90, you know, thousand other people were reading that. Everybody on the block. Everybody around my neighborhood. And you talked about it. You got to the bus stop and you said, hey, did you see page three? You know, so-and-so, whatever. So it was easy or simpler or more straightforward to get your news, um, in, to, to put your news out into one place and for people to read it. So now you've got, you know, it's so complicated, right? You have so many options for, for how people get their news. And when I ask that question, if I'm working with a team and I'm like, okay, how does everybody get their news? And there's 10 people in the room, there's 11 different answers, you know, because they're getting it in so many places. So that makes marketing that much harder, right? Because how, where am I spending my dollars? And it becomes, I can't tell you how many calls I get. And I sit and I talk with people about, they'll say to me, I have a thousand dollars to spend, you know, like for the year, mm -hmm. you know, or I've got 5,000 for the year and, you know, where should I spend it? And it, and it's, it's, that's not an easy answer. It's a really hard thing to take a budget of that size. And so you have to really think, you know, where is your, that's why the branding and understanding your lane is so important because if you know exactly where your audience is, or at least a portion of them, you can say, all right, I'm going to commit my dollars and my time and my energy to, to this. And I'll do it multiple times, right? Because one of the other big mistakes, people call me and they'll say, you know, I ran an ad in that magazine and, you know, nothing happened. It's like, okay, how many ads did you run? One. You know, one and done does not, does not work, right? So what's the, what's the, um, 
the the saying is, you know, you got to see it seven times. You have to see an ad right, right. times before. So, you know, seven times can become expensive depending on how you do it. Facebook, you know, Facebook is was like a marketer's dream because, you know, Zuckerberg was brilliant and, and he turned he he made a database first. Right. He made the platform and a database. And then he said, now I've got a database I can charge you all for. And so I won't show your stuff anymore to all these people unless you pay me for it. But it's brilliant because you can fine tune the way you market on Facebook. When you do it an ad, you can fine tune six ways to Sunday. You know, I, I want, you know, single parents. I want married. I want homeowners. I want, you I know, want Rockland County. I want Rockland County. I, I mean, you. I want zip codes. You know, I mean, you can so fine tune it, then it becomes an extraordinary source from a marketing perspective. Um, I learned a very interesting thing last week, which I will share with everyone. Uh, you probably, I'm sure, already know this. But when you play, uh, someone, uh, this was a great article that I read, that when you play something on Facebook, um, the first time that you play something, you should not put a link. Because Facebook really frowns upon people leaving the platform to go to other sources. So what you do is you put it about an event, you don't put the link, and then when you get um, a certain number of likes or whatever, you come back three to four hours later and put the link, and the link will go to all those people who have responded to it. That's my tidbit for today. Yes, Yes, that that's very true. Facebook, all of the platforms are the same, right? They they don't want you leaving their platform. They want you to stay on their platform. So the more that you do within their platform, it's like the more you're rewarded, basically. So yeah, they they you know, obviously we you know we encourage people to hire a great publicist and everything, but are there specific times for you, for example, um, that you feel are better in terms of getting the word out? Um, I went to a great talk. Uh, two weeks ago, Alec Baldwin has a podcast and I went to town hall and he was interviewing Michael Wolf, who has a new book about the fall of Fox News. And Alec Baldwin just said the same exact thing that you just said about how we all used to get our news. Uh, we're all of a certain age uh, and we would get our news at 630 at night uh, and everybody would get the same news. The same news, the same and unbiased news. The same unbiased news, <laughs> and yeah. we lived, you know, and we lived our lives. And then we came back the next, and then in the morning, as we were having our coffee, we were getting the newspapers and seeing it. And now most people, believe it or not, and statistics show this, get their news from late night comedians. That's where most people are getting their news these days, and how that's processed, uh, so, which is a sad commentary that's on the world. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so is there a specific time that you feel is better to get the word out for an event or something? Are there times that you feel it's not a good idea to post something or, uh, what are your guidelines? Yeah, good, good questions. Um, a lot of it depends on what the product or the event or whatever is, right? So, so there, there are, there's seasons. The year is divided into seasons, right? So like right now we're extraordinarily busy with, with several clients with, with Christmas related, Halloween related. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's always a double-edged sword, right? Because it's, 
it's busy because it's the season. So that means like if you've got something that's seasonal and it fits in, you've got a better shot, but so does everybody else. So, so it's a double-edged sword because you're, you're competing against a lot. And particularly in this market, you know, I mean, we're in the number one DMA. I mean, we're, you know, New York is, is, you know, you can't get, doesn't get crazier than here. So you're competing against a lot of other um, people who are pushing out their news and their stories. Um, but you timing in general so you you do have to be careful but it just depends on on what each what it is that you're pushing so january for example people think oh january's dead that's great that's a great time to push out interesting things because all the good stuff's over right everybody's depressed it's january right now now we're just cold and wet and you know and 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 you know it's dark and so January is actually a really good time to push stuff out because um, all the all the you know the hubbub is is sort of um, over. So you can think in in terms of that. You do want to plan as far in advance as you can. I love the people who call me and they'll say, "I have an event next week. Can you help me promote it?" <laughs> like it's next week. I'm having a party tomorrow night. Can you send out an invitation list? Yeah, yeah. and cater it, and you know, yeah. So it's. Uh, you have to give yourself enough time. And then that's a fine line too, right? So if you, if you, I just had someone recently who said, you know, I think we pushed it out too early. And I was like, okay, but you wanted it out by, you know, X date, like, you know, because it's a fine line. If you push something out too early and it gets picked up, now no one's remembering it by the time your event is happening. Well, let me ask you about that. When you are, when you do start promoting something early, um, when is it too much? Uh, you know, years ago I had someone who said you're sending out to, and then I spoke with a friend of mine who was from the Fox network, I'll put it out there. And he was a branding expert. And I asked him, I said, when is it too much? And his response surprised me. He said, after the event is over. After the event is over. Yes. What, are, what, what is your take on that? Meaning promote as much as you can. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, you have to be careful of, you know, the relationships that we have with the media are, are coveted, right? So you have to be careful of pushing it too much to the media, you know, where they say, well, we did, didn't we do something on this? Or, you know, we did a story on that two weeks ago and, and the, you know, the client wants another story. It's like, I may not be able to get you another story in that publication, you know, within this time frame. So, um, Again, it's a fine line. It depends on it, it depends on how hard you're hitting it and with the same people over and over and over. Yes, it takes seven times for someone to sort of absorb something. But at the same time, if you send me seven emails in seven weeks, I might be like, okay, I, and ignore the email because now I'm like, I saw that. And it, you almost get that, um, I saw it, but now you've pushed it four times to me. I no longer care. And I don't even remember what it was. So... I think you have to be, I'm not, I'm not a believer in, in hitting people over the head. I agree with um, you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think you have to be creative in your execution. You know, I'm big on that. We love direct mail now because no one was getting mail. Now people are getting mail again. And so, you know, if you do a really well done direct mail piece, it's going to get attention, but, but the key is in, in doing it well and not sort of being a pain in the butt, you know, not, not, abusing the privilege of people's time. 
because everybody has limited time. So you want to be sensitive to that. Well, in our remaining minutes, I hope Alan is still here because he posed this question at the beginning of the show before you came here. And it's what's your definition of the difference and distinction or overlap between a publicist and a public relations person? Okay, so so some people use this interchangeably and they'll say, you know, I need a publicist. You know, people think of publicists more as being for the individual or for a book um, or for an actor um, kind of thing where, but it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's relatively interchangeable, but a publicist is more often associated with, um, you know, like I said, an actor or uh, an author or something like that. So okay. there may well, be some I other things differently, but 32 years in, that's, that's my definition. <laughs> that's my so what's your next big event? I, I mean, do you have something tonight? Or are you running off to something else? Because you are probably one of the busiest people I know. Yeah, I was at a gala yesterday, which I didn't expect to be at and didn't even know was happening. And I, and they were like, are you coming? And I was like, oh, okay, I'm coming. Um, <laughs> I had two events this morning. Um, my next big event, well, I have I have a wonderful new client. We have a wonderful. I do have staff, by the way. I've got I've got four four people who, who work with me, and then a designer, and so I have I have great great staff. Um, but I will be heading over tomorrow to PXG, which is a new client stands for Parsons Extreme Golf, um, and uh, they manufacture golf clubs and apparel, and so we are introducing people to that. Um, so that's having, happening tomorrow where we're doing a fitting and talking about adaptive golf and people with disabilities playing golf. So that will be um, really interesting. Then Thursday, I will be at American Christmas, um, which is in Mount Vernon. And this is this is so much fun. Um, American Christmas is the company behind many of the iconic New York City holiday displays. So the, the Rockefeller wow. Angels, um, Cartier, uh, uh, Macy's. Um, so, so Rockefeller, uh, um, um, Radio City Music Hall. So they do all these wonderful events. And last year they opened up their showroom and made it into sort of a, a winter wonderland, a um, Santa's uh, village. This year it's Holiday Lane and people can come in and walk through and it's absolutely glorious and Santa will be there and you can take pictures and all the ticket money, all the net proceeds are going to three charities in Mount Vernon. And last year they do donated over $80,000. So they do wonderful work. We're having our ribbon cutting on uh, the second and uh, we have a whole bunch of people coming and it's uh, just a, a wonderfully fun event because it really kicks off um, Christmas. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, every day with you is Christmas, Risa. Oh, so, uh, don't go anywhere for a moment. I'm going to give you the final word in just a moment. Um, uh, I want to thank every, and thank you for saying yes to me uh, on such short notice, <laughs> uh, and uh, and for coming in. Uh, and uh, thank you everyone who showed up to watch the show today. Uh, this will be on replay. Please leave a comment on YouTube. Uh, like, share. That helps as far as the ranking of the video. Um, I am going to give you the final word, Risa. It could be about anything that we spoke about that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with today. And when you say, uh, say goodbye, I will end the show so you don't have to worry about how do I end this. I will take care of that. So I want to thank everyone for being here. I end every show 
by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a while. Go to your Facebook friends list and the sixth name that pops up, reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know the impact that they made on your life. I saw a posting this morning that a friend of mine posted about Matthew Perry, which still I'm reeling from. And he wrote a passage uh, from his book. Uh, they posted a passage. And interestingly enough, his book came out one year ago this week. And he said in this passage that when he passed away, that he knew that all everyone would be talking about friends, 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 friends. And he said, and if that's what people remember him for, that's good enough. But there are so many other aspects to his life that they hope that they will look into as well. And it's important that we acknowledge people while they're here until it's too late. And uh, I've dealt with loss this year, as I know you have as well, Risa. It's important that we take the time to celebrate these people in our lives. I have a dear friend, Sean Moniger, and he always says, we're all in the same boat, but we're in different, uh, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave. And Lisa, it's all yours. Thank you for being here. Well, Richard, thank you so very, very much for asking me to do this on the spur of the moment. And uh, I, I'm glad that I was able to uh, to get back here in time to do it. Um, you're, you're so very generous and so very kind. And I could not um, agree more with everything that you just said. Um, I think I'll, I'll leave everybody with um, something I used to say to my girls uh, when I sent them off to school, uh, I would say to them, go out and make somebody smile today. Uh, and if you've done that, you've done God's work. And uh, we could all use uh, some more smiles and uh, a little bit more um, kindness uh, these days. So um, go out and make somebody smile today. And what you'll find is that uh, uh, you'll smile as well. And when you smile, it releases endorphins and you feel better. So smile till it sticks. And, uh, and thank you, Richard, again, so very much. Thank you. Good night, everybody.